I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Okay, welcome back. We're back. We've had a bit of a hiatus, bit of a break. Brad, welcome. Thank you, sir. It's been a while. It's good to see your lovely face through my computer screen, through the wonder, you know, technology, the internet. It's, it is, yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing. Well, and same to yours. For those of you that uh, obviously just listened to the podcast, you know, looking at it, go, where the fuck? Why do you want to see faces? Uh, we, we don't cross that barrier. We are just the podcast, not a video cast. So uh, while Flash and I get to look at each other's lovely faces, um, sporting a bit more of the old hair, I thought, I thought it had been chopped, but it seems to be making a comeback. No, 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 no. I've, I'm going, I'm trying to get on the schedule of like maybe two haircuts a year. Uh, okay. You know, okay. and I haven't had one yet in 2017. So maybe, maybe for the summer we'll do a little cleaning up. And then, uh, mm. you know, before I get married, I'll probably, okay. you know, I'll probably. Well, well you, I'm guessing, guessing you probably won't have a choice in that one. So would that be an official one of the uh, twice yearly haircuts or would that be an unscheduled? Clinton. No, no, no. We, we're going to keep it. At, that's the second. That'll be the second. Okay, you know, that will be. I think it's not till the fall, not till September. So you know, we get a little trim in yeah, the autumn, and then we go autumn for the rest of you uh, listening in the proper English speaking world. Right, right. This is this is the beauty of the show. Again, if you're just listening for the first time, you know we're we're bringing both spectrums here. We're bringing the North American vibe and the and the the Commonwealth, you know, UK vibe as well. So. Indeed, indeed. And especially when it comes to courgettes, because they are still called courgettes, aren't they, Frank? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm looking at my garden situation right now as spring has sprung here um, in beautiful Germany where I'm situated. And so we're we're assessing what we want to do this year. And we were thinking, you know, should we should we go back down that road and challenge, challenge well, you and your daughter to another um, uh, grow off? But uh, she she did ask me today if uh, if the challenge was going to be back okay, on. Okay, well, but we might have to maybe discuss off air which which okay you know produce which we want to go with, and then uh, and then we'll see uh, we'll see uh, if we won't announce the challenge next episode. Okay, well, before we dive into the the stories, I think we have had a little bit of a break, and there's been some big things that have happened in that time, so. In the UK, the big thing is obviously Brexit. You know, we've yeah. handed over the official letter. We've started that juggernaut rolling towards the edge of the cliff, whether it spews off the end and <laughs> bursts into a ball of flames. We'll find out in about two years' time. Yeah. But, you know, we'll wait We'll wait and see. Um, obviously, you know, we're all still alive, which, you know, 10 weeks ago when Donald Trump came into power, a lot of us, you know, I was one of them. I'd stocked up on tin goods, and I was living under my dining room table for a long period of yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the good thing is that it's not affected his golf play. I, I saw today that he's on his uh, 14th round of golf in 10 weeks today. Yeah, but what's his score? So, uh, how, how, what's his handicap? Wow. What's he shooting? Well, if you have a bad day, you just don't want to be anywhere near that red button for the nukes, <laughs> yeah. do you? That's, <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, Trump was still here. And then, obviously, we had the um, the Westminster terror attacks, you know, just uh, just over a week, week ago, two weeks mm-hmm. ago. Uh, so lots happened, but more importantly, out of all of that, we've actually we've actually achieved something on this show because we started off just you and I. Uh, I. I think at the very first episode, I called you a scientist and me a pseudoscientist, 
And basically what you've done is you've broadened that gap now because in this hiatus you have gone away and you have defended your thesis. So now it's Dr. Flash from here on in. So I'm going to yeah. round of applause and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I tip my hat. Uh, I did successfully defend the thesis. So technically, yes, Dr. Flash. Uh, I'm going to avoid putting that on a lot of like airline tickets and stuff just because I don't want to have the awkward situation of Oh, there's a medical emergency. We know there's a doctor uh, on board. His ticket says doctor, and then I'd have to be there. Um, you know, if he passes away, I could tell you what parasites were in him. But uh, other than that, I'm not going to be much use. So, <laughs> well, you, you say that you say that now, but you know, you do have a much higher chance of being upgraded to business and first class if you have doctor on that Ooh, ticket. So, that's a good point. That is actually a good point that the, I had not thought of. Yeah, and then when that call goes out, you can say, I'm too pissed to be responsible. <laughs> yeah. I've been drinking the, the free booze at the front <laughs> yeah, of the plane for right. nine hours of this flight. I'm no I'll good just be like, in my professional opinion, yeah, put a pillow under his head. Maybe fan him a bit, yeah. you know? Pour some water <laughs> what, you, on you, it. What, you'd, suff- you'd suffocate yeah. him. Put a pillow over his head. Under his head, you know, so you, he's comfortable Dr. as he Dr. lies Dr. There Harold Shipman. You know, some sort of, yeah. <laughs> you should be working in a clinic in Switzerland, my friend, not... Uh, Handing your wares around the uh, journalistic press of Europe. Yeah, right. Well, I I appreciate the congrats. Um, I, I still feel uh, as stupid as I did before. But it's one of the reasons that we do this podcast, you know, is to broaden our, our scope of what we're learning and what we're, you know, focused on and what we're reading and hopefully passing some of that knowledge on. So, you know, you can, you can call me doctor, but I'm still the same old guy, you know. Wow, that's what that's what I like to see. A man of the people. That's right. Man that's of the right. people. Flash. That's right. If you could see him now, people, he's sat on a throne with gold <laughs> all around him, and uh, topless women fanning him as he overheats. But anyway, yeah, that's so that's anyway, that's, academia for you. Yeah. Well, you know, that's where all that cash is going. No wonder Trump wants to slash budgets. But anyway, let's uh, let's dive in with the the stories. We've got a, a fairly jam packed show, I guess, because we've been a little bit away. So uh, episode fourteen as well. I had to. Go away and look up what number we were mm-hmm. on because we, you know, we stopped on unlucky number 13, which I think some listeners were concerned yeah. we were never going to yeah, come back yeah, yeah. from. But, uh, but we're here, people. Um, so first up, uh, I've, I've got a couple of stories for us. Uh, the first up is the anti-aging pill or anti-aging treatment. So um, there's a the university in uh, the Netherlands. Um, they've basically been working on a... A project um, looking at flushing out the um, old cells in mice, basically, and what they uh, discovered is these these cells. They call them uh, senescent cells. Right. Uh, basically, they're cells that, as you get older, they just stop dividing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in and in a normal body, the effect that has is it 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 ages you, but it it has an effect in helping some healing processes um but also in preventing some tumors because a lot of tumors obviously or the majority of tumors are caused by a replication error so as you get older basically these cells stop dividing to prevent that error from happening um but these uh, bunch of scientists basically found a chemical that can be used to flush these cells out of the body so you replace the cells with dividing cells and what they found in these mice um Mice that are around about ninety years in in mice years. Okay, I don't I don't know how many mice years are in a the equivalent. Right, of yeah, years. they do. It's like the dog year thing. They like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it must it must be like fourteen or something. I would, yeah. As I said, but what they found in these mice that actually um, giving this drug three times a week uh, increased liver function and restored liver function in some cases, um, and also increased the distance that they could run in their wills by at least double. Hmm. Did it prolong um, life? But well, and then what they also saw was um, hair. In some cases, hair grew back, but also hair got less grey and less thin. Um, going to make a so now make a buttload in uh, Hollywood with that. Uh, yeah, so now they're starting to look at well, will this prolong life? Will it? You know, mm-hmm. I think immortality is probably a long way yeah. off. But um, oh, actually, we'll come to that later. But. Uh, yeah, so interesting. Soon, you know, rather than just slapping a bit of face cream and moisturizer on and hoping for the best, yeah, yeah. soon there could be some sort of peptide supplement that uh, reverses the years. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so basically, yeah, when these cells stop dividing, they, this thing just flushes it out and makes way for younger cells to come to come up. It's interesting how yeah, that... Yeah, so basically... 
Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure the, the exact pathway. So the way the drug work itself is by disrupting the chemical balance within those cells, and it's specific to those cells. Mm-hmm. So actually in the trial, they didn't, they didn't see any side effects. Um, and then somehow that cell's flushed out. Now, what I couldn't find in the the literature I reviewed is what the pathway is around that. Is it is it some sort of immune response, mm-hmm. or is it then you know that cell dies off and it doesn't come back? You know, but what what prevents that cell from just reappearing? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. or the I next don't know whether cells, they've answered that question. The next cells that fill that gap, you know, that filled yeah. the space that was created by the flushing out of this. Like, what are they? Is their clock? back at zero or do they somehow you know because the tissue you would think is all sort of yeah i guess it speaks to our ignorance of cellular pathways and and the rest of it but interesting and um yeah you know it's interesting that it's it could be in a pill form like this because it's like you kind of said in your little intro thing there's you know you're not having a cream or anything that's always been the thing right is some kind of a cream or whatever to get rid of the wrinkles yeah. or whatever. But if this thing is sort of like a catch-all and you just plop it in, and so it's not just your skin, you get the hair, you get the liver, you get the muscles, you get sort of everything. It literally might just be the anti-aging cure. Yeah. yeah. Turn the to clock back. So that, you know, that furrowed brow you have from defending your thesis. Mm-hmm. The, the gray, no longer be quite as thorough. The gray hairs that will surely be appearing soon. Um, wow, indeed. Yeah, 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 cool. I mean, this has been, you know, this is one of the things that people have been striving for 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 ages. And I mean, I think it would still be uh, a money maker for them, even if it didn't prolong life, but it just, you know, made you look younger. I mean, yeah. Well, I, to be fair, that would probably make more money than yeah, probably <laughs> actually living longer. Yeah, I mean, what's I don't. You'd have to look up the numbers of what that industry pulls in, but it's got to be it's got to be a lot. Although plastic yeah. surgeons right now are being like, "No, <laughs> no, that's my livelihood, the nip tuck." But hey, the, as we'll find out in a few stories down the road here too, you know, everybody's everybody's job is in in danger of being usurped wow. by technology. But we'll get to that. We've touched on this before. We'll get to yeah, that. the road's coming. So. So that's the the first story. So um, I'm not sure if I've tweeted that one out already. I know that that came up during the break. But if it hasn't, then I'll I'll tweet a link out to that on the uh, the Twitter feed later. Uh, the second story I have for you is um, the Fang Blenny. Yeah, yeah, you heard me. The Fang Blenny. Okay. Uh, it's a reef dwelling fish, ah. um, and it it gained the interest of um, marine biologists. Um, for a long time, by all accounts, I'm not a marine biologist. It only garnered my interest a couple of days ago when I saw this article. <laughs> um, but basically, it's uh, a fish that, when it bites, the predator doesn't doesn't react to it in a normal way. I'll come to that in a minute. So, what you normally find with um, fish that have some sort of venom or um, some sort of spiny process when they they bite is it causes intense pain. And the idea, obviously, from that is to ward, ward off predators. You eat me, you're going to be in a lot of pain. That wears them off. But what they found with these fish is um, predators would eat them, put them into their mouths, um, and then suddenly the fish would almost, the fish that's eaten them would almost seem to come a bit disorientated, and their mouth would open and the fish would swim out. The little fang blenny would come out. Uh, and what they've discovered is the bite of these fang blennies is actually laced with opioids, so morphine-type <laughs> drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't produce any pain when it bites, and that was the curious thing. You know, why, when this thing bites, why is why is it not eliciting a pain response? Um, but what it seems to do is it's so potent the chemical that it's inducing with that bite, the opioid, is one of the side effects of morphine is that it lowers blood pressure. And what seems to happen is it lowers the blood pressure in the predator so much that it disorientates the predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gives gives them a chance to to get away. So actually, um, scientists in uh, Liverpool in the Tropical School of Medicine and in Queensland, Australia, have been studying this a to find out what the hell's going on. But now, obviously, b well, is that you know, is this a drug that potentially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could obviously then be marketed? If, you know, if it's that potent, yeah, yeah. Can we use it to get high? Um, 
I think they're looking at it more from the fact of can we use it to alleviate pain in people right. with severe trauma right. wink, or wink. disease. Wink, wink, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they seem to have a lot of scientists in their labs signing up to do the tests and get bitten by these fish. I don't know. Maybe if you had a tank full of piranha, they wouldn't be so keen yeah. to jump in and get bitten. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like those frogs when the first guy discovered that if you lick it, you get a real buzz. They had a lot of guys start signing up for that study, I'm sure. Um, interesting. So it's a, it's it is like a yeah a defense mechanism. It's not like it's not for when they're capturing prey, which is, is no, kind of interesting. Yeah. So it's like this thing gets swallowed in, in in another fish, and then it like bites the inside of its mouth or something, and and totally just drugs it up, and yeah, you know basically. zonks it out on uh, on on opioids. I believe that's what um, the kids uh, say, zonk, zonking out. That's right, right? Zonk, well, you, I, and to me, it, um, when I first read the story and then I started reading through the article, I started laughing. So I, was, I don't know if you've seen Finding Nemo. Yeah. But I I just thought maybe that's what's happened to Dory because she seems permanently <laughs> spaced out. <laughs> maybe she's just jacking up on Fang Blennies yeah, all the time. Yeah. Who knows? Jacking up, I believe that's what the kids say as well. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, jacking up on the old Fang Blenny. Yeah, well, you heard it here first, you know, in years to come, they'll be queuing up down the pet shop in the uh, <laughs> tropical marine section. Uh, not if our strict conservative governments have anything to do with it. These fish will be outlawed. There'll be a war against the Fang Blennies. Well, you said that, didn't I see that by, is it the end of 2018, cannabis will be legal across Canada? So they say, so they say. Um, you know, the prime minister needs to get in the good books of, you know, I'd say like 60% of the Canadian population. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the majority. Yeah, yeah, of the yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's a, that's an easy, that's a low hanging fruit, really. You think there's going to, do you think that's basically going to induce the mass stampede northwards from the United States into Canada? Wow. People obviously, obviously, people will stop off in Denver on the way because it's legal there. Yeah, yeah, and they just um, need so a you'll, little. You'll lose a few there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just need a little boost to get them over the border, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, I think it's going to be a much ado about nothing. Like, I think it's kind of the the writings on the wall. You know, the it, we're we're past the point of. I think it's just going to happen, and people are going to be like, "Okay, great." You know, it's. And now at least we know it's not going to black markets and you can tax it and there we go. So uh, the bigger day will be when we when we get these fish and people are <laughs> putting their hands in the fish tank to get a to get the next buzz. <laughs> well it'd be a bit like those I don't know if you've ever been to like those fish spas where you dip your feet into the tank and the Oh and they clean the nibble up yeah. the the dead skin off. No, just imagine that you you know dunk your feet in the tank for a you know bit of a hit. Yeah, well, you get the hit and they clean your your you get the pedicure effect, right? So it's a, it's a win win. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, we had to get in on this like on the ground floor and start yeah, building the so, spas, the fish spas. Well, we yeah, but trouble is we've just broadcast this now. So what you all have to do in post production is edit this whole bit of the story out so that. One of our eight listeners doesn't steal this idea no, and run off with it's it. It's like we've it's like we've discussed before. We've essentially mailed the idea to ourselves, so uh, we yeah, you yeah, know you're right. we've we've created it. We can we can go to court and say, hey, we thought of it first. Patent pending, everybody. Patent pending. Yeah, back off, bitches. <laughs> this is ours. We just got to. I'll be the I'll be the muscle. You be the polite. You know, patent pending. Back off, bitches. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. The interesting quirks of, you know, biology. But and I think it's cool too because it's like it just shows like you know, there's so much um you know, talk about natural medicine and we got to, you know, go back to natural medicine because big pharma and you know, people get really wrapped up in this idea of of, you know, they want things to be natural or organic or whatever and it's like well, the truth of the matter is, is that most of the medicines and a lot of our stuff does come from the animal world, but you just have to, you know, we can't sit around with fish tanks just dunking, you know, patients <laughs> that need, you know, like that are about to go into surgery or post-surgery. You can't just dunk them in the fish tank, you know, so we can. I go back to Victorian Britain with a bit of bloodletting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Relieve the pressure. You get a bunch of eels and leeches and now these fish, you know. So I don't know. I, I think it's always interesting when you get a, a, a story like that that you can see. It's like, look at, yes, you know, this stuff is natural. I mean, you can synthesize it afterwards but 
a lot of these stuff, you know, do come from. Anyway, that's opening up a whole nother can of worms, whole nother tank of fish that we we won't go into today. Well, you take take control of the ship for a little while, Flash. I'm aware that I've uh, I've ranted listeners since I've joined. So, plot plot a course, Captain. Tell us where we're going. Okay, so we're steering away from the reef then, uh, and we're going to go to a more terrestrial um, space, uh, and we're going to talk about something. Well, I think near and dear to both of our uh, interests, and uh, the parasite world. We'll dip into the parasite world. Uh, and right. talk about our good old friend malaria. So you here we go. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So for those that are not aware, malaria is a small, um, what you would call a protozoan parasite. So it's a single-celled little creature, uh, and it's a blood parasite that gets transmitted to humans via mosquitoes. And this has like long been a scourge of humanity. Um, a, a squidge? Scourge. Scourge. Okay. I thought you said squidge. I probably did, but... <laughs> okay. I'll edit it out. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, in 2015 alone, 214 million people were infected with malaria, and wow. which is a staggering number. Um, and of that, uh, 438,000 people um, died. So close to half a million people died. And I think that's kind of the sort of average number of deaths every year um, for malaria. It's still hovering around this half a million range. Um, and that's in 2015. And to think that these numbers that are staggering and, and huge right now, I think it's still the, yeah. the highest um, uh, number of deaths caused by an infectious disease. Um, but this is, you know, these numbers have been reduced 60% since 2000. So you can imagine what pre-2000 levels uh, were like. So malaria has always, always been a big, big problem for, for humans, you know. Um, and what, there hasn't been what a was, whole lot of... What, yeah. was the, what was the change in 2000? Was that better awareness? Obviously, I know there was a big push from the Gates Foundation and others into that area. And obviously, buy, buy a mosquito net for 50p and save a life. But what... Do you know what it was that flipped? Yeah, I, I think it was or? basically that. I mean, um, that might have been the time that uh, the anti-malarial drugs came onto the market as well. Um, okay, right. So, but in terms of reducing infection, like, so reducing infection, yeah, there is prophylactic drugs that you can take to prevent you from getting malaria infection. But, you know, generally those aren't, they're too expensive to just give to the 214 million people they get infected right, every yeah. year. And I think the number of people that are at risk of infection is even higher. It's like 3 billion, possibly. So it's like... I was going to say, yeah, the risk is probably huge. Yeah, it? so yeah. it's like half the world's population. And obviously this is, um, you know, it's a mosquito-borne disease. So it, 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 it happens in tropical uh, regions where you tend to see poverty as well, right? So it's really hard to, you know, offer this expensive drug to all of these people. And the prophylactic drug is, you know, it's prophylactic so you have to continue taking it in order to prevent um the right. infection so it's not a one time you take it and it's like a, you have to keep up with this barrier otherwise you'll get infected so the i think that probably played a small role um they do have what's the the anti-malarial drug um prosequantol or quinine or something there's a there's a few drugs that came out probably around that time that will help fight infection once you get malaria so that reduced the number of deaths um but again it's expensive to roll out this drug to all these different areas um in terms of just reducing the number of incidents like the number of infection i think it mainly was like mosquito spraying and um bed nets you know like just the right. the awareness of you know we know that it's coming from mosquitoes we have to reduce contact between mosquitoes and humans and and especially during rainy seasons in these tropical areas you know so heightened awareness of that so targeting uh, areas where they know mosquitoes are breeding and then also providing mosquito nets uh, to people as they sleep yeah. so but but you know and and that's all great like a 60 percent reduction is great since 2000 but you still have 214 million people infected every year like this is it's still a, a major major problem and as you mentioned the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been on this one for a long time. And 
people have been talking about a vaccine for malaria for a long time and the end of malaria and, and all this. It's one of these ones that's been bandied about for a while. Um, but it's really tough to make a vaccine for malaria because it is, it's not a virus where it's just, you know, bits of DNA and um, that infect your cells. This is a little creature, right? Like it's a single celled creature, but it's a whole thing. So in order to develop a specific um, vaccine for it, you kind of, you can't just take bits of it and prime the immune system with these dead, you know, chunks of this little creature. Um, so what they've done in this new uh, trial for a new vaccine um, is they take a still living malaria parasite but they've weakened it somehow and I don't I wasn't able to find out how they actually do the weakening because that's probably a tech the company has that technology on, the, on, on lockdown patent pending I'm sure um, uh, so it's actually it is a live parasite but it's just a really weakened form um, and they're running trials on this uh, as a as the the main component of the vaccine and in so it's in phase two trials so they've expanded beyond phase one so they're increasing the 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 number of patients um in the trials and in u.s trials it was 100 percent effective so and i don't know the the wow. entire you know experimental design setup on that but then they brought it to mali um, and tried it and did phase two trials there. And so this is in the field in a country where there is, you know, really high levels of malaria and uh, transmission and stuff. And it was 48% uh, effective. So that doesn't sound great, you know, you know, less than 50%. It doesn't sound great. However, um, they've never seen this level of efficacy in a virus against malaria infection in a region with such intense transmission. Um, so this is like actually the best that it's ever done. So well, and also near effectively fifty percent of that large number. What was it two hundred and forty fourteen million? Yeah, it that it, when you're talking numbers of that magnitude, fifty percent. You know, in in normal pharmaceutical terms, fifty fifty percent not that great from a vaccine point of view. But actually, with numbers like that, that's huge. Yeah, no, I know, and it's it's encouraging too because um, again, it's. I think there's an interesting um, movement kind of shift in idea going on in terms of vaccines for some of these larger parasites. So we consider malaria to be a larger parasite. I've, you know, even though yep. it is a single celled organism, it's not like a bacteria or a virus. It's bigger than that. Um, and then even bigger than that, you know, vaccines against actual worms. So, you know, like the intestinal worms that you commonly think of when you hear the word parasite, you know, it's, it's always been really hard to try and develop these vaccines for such large organisms, right? Um, because of their size, that's really the main, the main problem, right? Um, however, there's this kind of shift in thinking, uh, whereas like if you can get some level of reduction, some level of protection, so say it's 48% or say it's not complete immunity, but it helps a little bit. Um, if you can add, just add that to the arsenal of things that yeah. are used to fight these, you can reduce, you know, the overall, whether it's, uh, you know, just infection rates, which then, you know, reduces transmission. So you get less spread, less you know, less people infected overall. So it's like, so it doesn't necessarily need to have that such a high, you know, level of efficacy that we see for, you know, like when you think of like the polio vaccine, that's like, it's 100% more or less effective, right? So, so it's interesting and it's encouraging. I mean, it's only in phase two, but we'll, uh, we'll, but, we'll follow it as, still, it as it gets rolled out. But it's, yeah, it's a very, very encouraging finding, I think. Well, and I wonder, so I, I know for bacterial and viral vaccines, they, so they use an, an attenuated strain effectively. And so I know a lot of those are done through some sort of radiation or genetic. Attenuated meaning you know, it's, it's killed, it's dead. It's it, not. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's been modified in some way to be less pathogenic or right, right. whatever. Um, so I know that technique comes, but I know that there's been issues in the past with malaria and some other larger vaccines for, for some of them in that you can't always attenuate the, the virus or the organism, in this case, malaria. Mm -hmm. So interesting, that's moved on. I wonder if that 48% is because there's 
more than one strain you know is 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 the effect because they haven't got all the, you know is there a different strains of malaria out there or is it that the organ you know the human that's being in, injected and tested with that vaccine is having a different reaction there's obviously a lot of work to be done there but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah as you said 48 percent as you said add that to the arsenal thank you very much you know potentially what will be interesting to see if the if there is because there's say two strains of malaria out there and you're blocking one of them will that select for resistance effectively are you going to see that that one strain disappear over time but then obviously the other one increase but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know in theory if that if that is the case, then surely it would be a case of well, we can just modify the vaccine again, and fingers crossed, have the same. Effect. Yeah, maybe it becomes a situation like the flu shots, right, where you can kind of roll it out every year or every couple every of years year. or whatever, it, wherever it may be. And and I know that there is strain uh, issues with malaria and and resistance to you know the drugs to malaria is, is a huge problem that you see malaria adapting very very quickly to the different you know anti-malarial drugs that they throw out so whether it the vaccine will suffer the same things you know it has yet to be seen but this is also one of two vaccines that's going to be rolled out rather soon so the other vaccine i don't have a lot of information on it but um it's going to be put into production basically in 2018 so it's a further ahead on the schedule of um in terms of being rolled out so it's farther along in the clinical trial um, setup, but uh, it's surely not as effective as what I read. Um, but it's closer to being used. So again, maybe a combination of vaccines, sure. all this, yeah. all these different things. Plus, I mean, again, this just just the awareness, and I think Zika virus brought all this to light as well. Of that, you know, these mosquito-borne viruses are are an issue, and they're going to become an issue, uh, or they may become an issue um, for places that formerly didn't have them um, due to changing climate and, you know, and Ooh, things like fake this. news, fake news. <laughs> Sorry. I, I've been speaking to uh, my friends in the American government administration. They, they they say climate change does not exist. That's right. You're not allowed to so, use that word. You're not allowed to use that word. Yeah. Oh, we need a buzzer. Yeah, we, need a, we need a buzzer <laughs> that you can just hit when we want to call, you know, fake news on somebody. Um, but, yeah, so it's um, – I don't know. It's a, it was a it was an interesting little blurb that I read about it, and something that I'll I'll be following up on, um, yeah. and we'll see. You know, see how the trials well, go. Well, and, and as you said, like the resistance piece, I think that's. Um, sorry, I, I paused there because I've just looked over onto the, the blinds that face me, and there is a humongous spider. Which, as long as it stays over there, it's fine. Yeah. I don't have an issue. Well, and he's going to be eating um, all the mosquitoes, all the disease-carrying mosquitoes. So, you know. Well, as long as it's eating those and not me, I really <laughs> don't mind. Um, but with the the resistance, obviously, as you mentioned, touched upon, there's, there is a lot of resistance to the, the prophylactic malaria out there. And obviously, I think, you know, famous, I think the first prophylactic was quinine, which is basically it, it's extracted from a bark, which is in tonic water. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know. The idea of being able to drink enough gin tonic to keep yourself free of malaria is, you know, long gone. I know a lot of people still advocate that that still works, and you see a lot of those people drinking a lot of gin tonic. But um, yeah, if this if this vaccine has a way of doing away with resistance or at least combating part of that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can only be only be a good thing. Yeah, anytime you can, you know, rather than just treating the symptoms of once you get malaria or just trying to, like you say, have this prophylactic barrier constantly in place. Um, if you can, you know, reduce the number of people getting it, you sort of break the life cycle, right? Like you just break, yeah. the, there'll be less mosquito, mosquitoes acquiring it from people and passing it on. And so you got to you know, stop the cycle, break the chain, so, so to speak. And any, anything you can do to do that, um, you know, like you say, add it to the arsenal. So yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good, well, it was a good story. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, let's, let's keep an eye on that one. You know, it's always good. You know, I, I think we, you and I both enjoy a good disease update. Oh, yeah. Uh, and based, based on the feedback from the listeners, they do as well. So going into that, I'm going to, normally this is you always giving the Ebola update, but I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to give a quick update, update on the Ebola. Um, although it's not strictly on the disease itself. So, um, a few days ago in the news in the UK, um, you may remember um, a couple of years back, there was the case of the nurse that returned from, I think, Sierra Leone um, back into London and flew on to Scotland and then 
a day or two later, she was struck down with a bowler, and she's had a couple of reoccurrences. Um, so there was a court couple case. A couple of flare-ups. Um, uh, yeah. So there was... And actually, it's been interesting, I think we touched on this before, with some of the survivors, because we've not seen survivors before, actually... Mm-hmm. We're starting to see the knock, some of the knock-on effects of infection, mm-hmm. but that's a different story. So anyway, so uh, Pauline uh, Kafke is the the nurse that came back and then had it. So basically, she was brought up in front of the nursing and midwifery council for uh, potential misconduct because um, when she came back, it turns out that she did have a raised temperature, but she she or whoever lied on the, on the applicant on the form when she got back into the UK. But anyway, a few days ago, the doctor that actually um, was with her on that trip that took her temperature and, and signed the declaration um, was found guilty of gross misconduct or Ooh. serious misconduct. Um, so, but she was suspended for a whole month. So a whole month. Um, basically, when they landed, they took her temp- They took each other's temperature, um, and the nurse's temperature was thirty-eight point two degrees Celsius. Um, and they recorded 37.2, which was within the threshold, and she was allowed to carry on. And obviously then the next day, she went down with Ebola. Um, so I think it's, there's a couple of things from here. There's the fact that, one, it's only a one-month suspension. Yeah. Okay, you know, let's not destroy somebody's career, but potentially you've let Ebola into a country that doesn't have Ebola. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys there's, are just desperate for uh, any medical personnel to work uh, extra weekends, though, so <laughs> they, they can't... They can't. Well, at least we've got a health service, unlike some countries out there. Um, <laughs> so that was the that that was the the first part of the story of well, okay. But the second part was um, she was then dishonest in questioning. When a few days later they went, uh, so the nurse that you said didn't have a temperature actually has gone down with Ebola. We know from the incubation period she probably would have had a temperature. She lied at that point, and then it all sort of came out during her trial. Yeah. So that's that's one part. But I think the bit that really stuck for me is. Um, when she gave the reason for um, or why they they both hid this fact, it's because they were keen to be back for Christmas. Now that is a very admirable reason. I can understand it's a big family time. Apart from the fact they landed back in the UK on the twenty eighth of December, which, as far as I'm aware, in all of the years I've been alive, Christmas has always been on the twenty fifth December. So they'd already missed Christmas. The Christmas season, it, Brad. They're still. They were still. You know, they had. They, they were yeah. still within the window to get leftover Christmas dinner. You know, they hadn't thrown out all the leftovers yet, so they were racing for well, that. Well, that's true, actually. And I guess you know, if you've got Ebola, you're shitting through the eye of a needle anyway. So you know, add, adding some sort of salmonella or campylobacter from undercooked turkey that's been left lying around for a few days probably isn't going to. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah, I take it back. It's a valid reason. It's a valid reason. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I throw my argument out the window. I stand down. The uh, the prosecution retires. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I mean, obviously, that's a a shitty reason to give to to lie on it, and I don't think it's probably the real reason. I have to imagine that there's some level of um, denial going on at that point where you're just yeah. like, shit. We we know that the the potential to of contracting this horrifying, scary, deadly disease is is real, and then you're you're one degree over. You know, the threshold, you want to be able to say, ah, I just, yeah, I got off the plane real quick or it was stuffy on the plane. You know, it's just, it's raised me up this yeah. one, you know, and you want to explain it all away and you want to do all that. I totally understand. You know, I could, from a human perspective, like just an emotional perspective, you could totally understand that. As a medical professional, it's like, you know, you can't, like, there's a reason there's yeah. these strict things and quarantine measures. Yeah, there's, and, a, there's a reason you take a temperature. Because yeah. that's the best indicator we have. Yeah, exactly. About doing more invasive techniques of whether you've been infected. Or yeah, not. exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I mean, yeah, a month a month suspension doesn't seem like a lot. I don't know if uh, she's feeling, uh, as you would say, knock on effects of just her reputation and people. You know, yeah, I guess that's the thing. Who knows? You, you know, you don't. You know, you don't, you don't want somebody to lose their whole career over just you know one one potential blip, but it, it just struck me as, you know, a little bit of leniency, maybe. And you don't know, you know, you, the full details aren't published, so you don't know if there's other extenuating yeah, circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But it, that was what drew me to the story. But it was then when I saw, well, they want to be home for Christmas. Well, you missed that boat by at least three days. Yeah, yeah. So. You're not inspiring a lot of confidence in, in, you know, the people that might be getting treated by you and that you're, you know, fudging, yeah. fudging thresholds and, you know, 
not only of temperature, but also of when Christmas is. <laughs> you think you can just stretch the window on everything? <laughs> yeah, just make it up as you go along. So. Yeah, and it's not its not even like it's a mistake, you know? It's not like, oh, I misread. It's like, no, you you lied. You fudged yeah, you it. Fought, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, but still, that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one. But again, like I think it's it's you know, and that's I think why you know stories like Ebola and situations like Ebola are so dramatic. And you've seen like you know movies made on it, like even you know just disease in general is there's this emotional aspect, this terrifying aspect of you don't know what's in your body, you don't know what's lurking in there waiting to you know flare up and did i get it did i not get it and so i can i can really sympathize with the um the emotional aspect of it all but uh yeah you would think as a medical professional you would know better so indeed but you know obviously not well uh where do we want to move to now should we keep with uh blood we've got malaria's in the blood we got Ebola's in the blood Let's yeah, talk okay, about yeah. I see, see what you've done there since you've got this doctorate. You've gone all, all technical on me. I like it. <laughs> uh, we're almost bringing a real of realism of uh, actual science. So, yeah. So this this story uh, caught my attention. I think this one. I think this one. I did tweet out. So, um, mass-produced blood. Uh, it's basically it's it's here. So, um, biochemists has already been been here for a little while. I didn't didn't realize. Um, but what the, um, the big discovery is this time around is that actually now it can be mass produced. So, um, it's a fake blood, synthetic the, blood. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, well, well, real blood in effect, it's not fake blood. So it's, it's real blood, but it's just mass produced. So, um, this was actually discovered by, uh, my old university, University of Bristol in partnership with, um, the NHS blood service. Um, basically, the way that the current system works, when they, you know, see that you have blood donors and blood collection, that's the traditional method. But there is also a method of producing blood within the lab, uh, and the way that works is you uh, collect stem cells, you flip them into being red blood cells, and you can produce around about fifty thousand cells like that before the stem cell goes. That's it. I'm done. I can't produce any more, mm-hmm. and it dies out. The problem is, in one bag of blood, there's usually about one trillion cells. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So even if you've got a lot of stem cells, you know they're burning out quite quickly. What they've discovered, the new method, is basically they trap the stem cells in early stage of their development, and it basically stops them from flipping full scale into the type of cells that they would then go on and then eventually burn out in so it traps them at that early stage and basically by doing that it makes effectively the cell immortal so that's why i said earlier about here's the immortal bit Mm -hmm. and it basically then means that 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 one cell can produce red blood cells indefinitely so you got a little factory Um, that can just pump them out yeah you've basically got you've got a factory now what they've said is um it's way, this is way more expensive. Even, you know, the old method and new method is way more expensive than conventional blood donation. So, you know, I'd urge you all still to go out and donate blood. But what they've said is actually for the, some of the rarer blood types, actually, this is probably a, a way forward because the cost actually, although it's prohibitively expensive, is actually worth it because the, there's just generally not enough donors out there. So, um, that's what they're saying. What I really, really liked, what really, um, a way of dragging this home. So the, the old method they said was basically like a guy at home in his kitchen making homebrew beer. <laughs> but yeah. the new method is basically that guy scaling it up to a full scale brewery right. and rolling it out. And I, th- I thought that was a great, great analogy. Just, you know, I'm sat here drinking a beer right now. So that, that grabbed yeah, my attention. Yeah, yeah. You can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so. So, uh, yeah, mass produced blood. So it could be here. And I know we've, we've touched on. Other, you know, mass-produced tissue and, you know, organs. And yeah, 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 definitely. Um, well, this is a good one because, I mean, blood is like, you know, the need for blood donors and stuff. And like you say, that's not going away anytime soon. But you got to think that, like, with all these technologies that will, it will get better, you know, and costs will go down. Um, and to yeah. be able to have, a you know, unlimited supply of blood basically on demand more or less is, you know, what what, what that does for the, the health the medical community is, yeah, amazing. So, 
And it's just going to give our fearless leaders all the more reason to fight wars, you know, because we can just, you know, <laughs> punk, you know, punch you know, our young men, poke them full of a million holes. We'll just fill them back up, you know, no problem. Well, you you are really cheery today, Flash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking big picture. I'm thinking big picture here, you know, or you could race your cars really fast and be reckless because, you know, you will be able to heal everything and just fill you back up with the blood you just you can, uh, it's like you go on a hike you carry your blood your your water your uh your, your bag of trail mix or whatever you know and, and yeah, a bag of blood yes your stem cells and your fang blenny in case you need some pain relief that's, on that's the way right. yeah, yeah 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 get the fish then you you know start <laughs> pumping full of blood and you know there you go what is it going to do this is going to be wonders for olympic athletes that want to dope uh their blood right Oh, yeah, pump them through. Yeah, you no longer need uh, EPO. You just pump them through this. Yeah. So, geez, we're going to see the end of, you know, a bunch of uh, cycling records, I'm sure, within the next <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> well, they, they tend to get invalidated fairly quickly anyway, don't they, <laughs> yeah, the right. cycling records? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It it kind of creeps me out, though, like this idea of like, you know, the, the tissues and stuff like making, I don't know, for some reason, like growing a, a like an organ in a pig, you know, and then putting that in a body. I don't know, that doesn't freak me out so much. Something about mass produced blood, like, I don't know, I'm just picturing this. Well, now I'm picturing a guy in his garage with his like, you know, blood set up, you know, home brewing blood set up, just <laughs> cooking his own blood because, he you know, he needs it or whatever. But I don't know, there's something just like detached. Vampire-esque, you think? Yeah, yeah, of... yeah, yeah. Um, but it also makes me think of the, uh, obviously, the lab-grown meat, you know, that is, um, uh, yeah. I, I, I see, I don't have the information, and I'll probably bring it up in a, in, in sh- up, upcoming shows, but it's getting closer, apparently. But there's something about lab-grown meat that just kind of, you know, freaks me out. It just kind of... You know, if I know that I could get over it if it tastes good and it's fine. Same thing with the blood. You know, I'm not going to refuse, you know, lab-grown blood uh, in my body. But somehow it just there's a disconnect there where it's never been in a living body or it's never been a living thing. You know, the lab-grown meat is like I was trying to explain this to somebody one time and they were like, what? So it has to be alive for you to enjoy it in terms of eating it, you know? <laughs> It has to have had a soul, and then you—that's what makes it good to you. And I was like, "Well, when you put it like that, I seem like a monster." But yes, <laughs> now we've got this vision of Frank. Yeah, we're we're growing the organs over there. We've got the blood over there, and this speak so we'll just mash them all together, and you know, and you know, people like Elon Musk are investing in brain implants and things you know suddenly well the brain would just be replaced with the computer so effectively frankenstein here we come we can yeah man instead of make those bodies on instead of like a you know a cooler or a freezer in your basement with uh, all your you know uh, meat or whatever it'll be a chop shop down there of you know <laughs> the, the meat and parts and everything that you're growing and you just go down and you know have a Get your fish to bite you, and that'll numb the area, and you slap on a new arm or whatever. <laughs> Hockey stick arms. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Kicking off. Yeah. All turns. Well, yeah, you know, you, you heard it here first, people. You know, Frankenstein is coming. Well. And uh, you can thank my former university for that discovery. So, you know, the end of the world was created by the University of Bristol <laughs> and not just when I graduated. <laughs> That's right. Actually, the, the end of the end of Bristol almost came um, over Christmas period. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on, on the podcast. Um, they had to cordon off the the chemistry building in the centre of Bristol around the university because um, during a um, routine lab experiment, one of the students actually made a high explosive. <laughs> yeah, he was going for extra credit, I guess. Well, and the, but the thing is, they said he made a, um, a significant quantity. It's like, I've been in the chemistry lab before and I've made, you know, you've made stuff that you think, mm, this this is bubbling, this is heating up a bit too much. And what do you, you just pour it down the sink. <laughs> So, how much was he making that he just didn't go? Oh fuck it! I'll just pour it down the sink. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time to get rid of this. Now nah, we'll just keep going. We just got heaps of it here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What what can possibly go wrong? But yeah, yeah anyway, that's funny. Well, I mean, 
synthetic blood, uh, synthetic meat, whatever it's going to be, or real blood grown now in a lab. You know, the technology is taking over so many aspects uh, of things that we used to do. You know, maybe the blood donor will be a thing of the past. You know, it's 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 becoming a theme. I think on this on this show is the idea of how technology is replacing some things that uh, humans used to do. We used to have to make our own blood, damn it. Now we <laughs> now we don't even have to do that. And I think this this might be we might be getting near the end here, but we'll 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 bring this one up and it's just another story where your jobs are in are, are gonna be taken by the robots. Technology is gonna, you know, push us out of yet another sector. Uh, do we do we need to do we need to build a wall? Is that what you're advocating, Flash? No, 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 no. we don't need a wall oh, okay. as of yet. Sorry, I, I, I've jumped jumped the gun. That's right. I, I heard I heard people coming in and being done out of the job, and I immediately thought, well, let's just build a wall. Which let's build a wall. That was... it's always a sensible, you know, when in doubt, build a wall. It's it's okay. a good it's a good motto. But no, but it is uh, this is a, a a sector of the economy that I think most people would traditionally think of as people doing it and you know the people that you alluded to with your wall comment there i'm talking about the agriculture sector the farming sector we're going to get rid of farmers we'll no longer have our friends with pitchforks and overalls and straw hats you know toiling away in the fields because the driverless cabless totally remote tractor is on the way uh and it's it's only a prototype at the moment, but the, the the global marketing manager of Case IH, which is the company that's produced this um, prototype, he reassures us that it's only a matter of time before this thing is going to get rolled out. So the um, the idea, it's just like any you know sort of remote driving vehicle. Um, you have there's no driver at all. And you can fit all the different equipment on that a tractor would normally pull. So whether that's planting or harvesting or, I don't know, whatever else tractors do. If there's a farmer listening right now yelling at his speaker, the tractor doesn't do that job. It's a I don't know. I apologize, but what be yelling, yelling incomprehensibly, yeah. you making some sort of thing that farmers wouldn't have the brain power to speak. From what you've just said, there, Flash. Um, yes, yes, that's what I was saying. Okay, okay good. It's <laughs> um, good. Well, that's good because the the eight listeners that we did have were all actually part of the local farming community where I live. So we've just kissed that goodbye. Kissed that so market well goodbye. There, well, Flash. they're yeah. going to be out of a job soon if this thing uh, comes to pass. Um, in a, in a test, it was able so to it, plant so a whole a whole field of soybeans in Kentucky. So it's it works. What the whole of Kentucky? That's amazing. So now the whole of Kentucky is just a field full of soybeans. But this, this thing's running amok. It's going to be the end of civilization, Flash. I mean, next minute it'll be in an Illinois putting fucking sweet corn down. This is yeah. This is we should be warning the people. They should be out arming themselves with pitchforks. Well, they can obviously then plant things themselves if they got the pitchforks. Yeah. But this is this sounds dangerous. This is like the uh, Skynet Terminator scenario of driverless tractors. They've, they've run <laughs> of, of them agriculture, <laughs> yeah, plowing through states, yeah. laying soybean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's gone rogue. No, it's um. So you know, it it it, it works. I I got when I was reading this, the thing that popped out to me is it's it's like the Roomba. You know the you know the little robot that cleans your floor, the little circular. Not the, not 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 the dance. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to see what the link is yeah. here. Okay, yeah, the yeah, little, yeah the, like the well. So you think it just bounces around the field coming off the hedge? And, oh, <laughs> oh, it's like shed it's, some soya seeds. Yeah, it's like the tractor version of a Roomba, only much more efficient because it actually. <laughs> It doesn't just bounce around in its set area, you know, so it, it adjusts for the width of the um, equipment that it's pulling. So whatever uh, appendage or whatever you want to call it um, that it's using at that moment in the field, it adapts to the width of that. Um, it adapts to the terrain um, and even other machines that are being uh, used in the field. So it takes all of this information and together in real time, it knows the area that it needs to cover, and then it can then plot the most efficient route um, 
taking into account all these different variables. So it's it's highly efficient in that sense. Um, you there is a remote operator that can supervise it, and if it needs to adjust the the you know path or whatever. Um, but it also because it's you know operating on radar and um, GPS and things like this, it can go all night. Like it can you know visibility is not an issue. So in really dusty conditions. And uh, and and at night, this thing can go basically twenty four hours as long as you can keep it fueled up. So, so going back to the the Roomba robot, I just have you know in my head, you know, in keeping with the whole internet, you know, what the internet was really designed for was cats. Obviously, and some of the best videos in the world are of cats sat on top of the Roomba vacuum robots. <laughs> so, would the farming equivalent be a sheepdog just sat on top of this thing, just getting bounced around the? <laughs> The, the fields. Yeah. Or it's just going to be crows, you know, it'll just be crows lying the whole thing. <laughs> just everywhere. And they'll have to find a way to, like, you know, apply an electrical current or something through the outside to scare the crows off, to get the zap them off, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, the thing's just going to be covered in bird shit, right? Like, so what, so basically, what we need to invent is a crow taser. Yes. Yes. For the driverless tractor. Patent pending. You heard it. Back off, first. bitches. Back off, bitches. Back <laughs> off, bitches. So, so I, I know when we were discussing this story on. So, I, I know like combine harvesters have the GPS technology already. That you know, as you said, mm-hmm. for dusty conditions or dark conditions, it maps out the field. Bang! You hit a button, and it it weaves its way the most efficiently efficient way around that field. But mm-hmm. as you said, that combine still has a a driver in there. So. But this doesn't have a driver or a cab or anything. No. And I think the difference there is, like you said, this the combines that they have now, um, which are used for harvesting, as we all know. So the farmers don't get mad. We're, uh, you, you know, distinguishing. Right, you have to throw out your farming knowledge now. You've already <laughs> alienated those listeners, Flash. They're You're gone. not going to get them back by no, by knowing what a combine harvester is. That, they, that's gone. gone. Let it go. They've, they've turned find, off. Find the... a new demographic to tap into. Okay. So the difference I think there is that um, they don't have this like it's running on GPS, so it can it can do that path. But the this tractor it has things like radar and stuff inside of it, so it can real time if something comes in its path or you know conditions on the ground change, it can react to that and totally change its thing. I don't know that the combines have that level of. It's like you can no, put no. it on autopilot and it'll go in a straight line, sort of back and forth. Whereas this thing will, if you got other, you know, machines operating in the field, it can real time instantly calculate, okay, well, I need to go around this. Mm-hmm. How does that change my whole route? And then what do I do? What have I already done? And because it has all these different sensors on it, it can sense, you know, say, you know, something's broken down in the field that you might not know about. It won't run it over and, you know, wreck your equipment and, you know, stuff like this, right? Have, have you seen a picture of it? Is there a picture yeah, it of it? Looks- or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little video of it. Um, I can tweet it out uh, as well. There's a little video of it. But again, it's Case IH is the company. It's a concept driverless tractor. It looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks like the you know, you know future tractor. It's pretty sleek on top, big wheels. Yeah, it's pretty. It looks cooler than another tractor. Now that we know the well, farmers aren't say- listening, I can I can shit talk their tractors. <laughs> this thing looks way but, uh, cooler. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask then. Is, does it look like a traditional tractor? Because I would imagine a lot of things with ergonomics and, and design, like the car and things, it's designed like that because you have to fit a human in it to sit there yeah, cooperating. Yeah, yeah. So without without that, can the design just go anywhere it wants? So does it look... Yeah, it's basically just got the big four wheels and then this sleek little, um, you know, more aerodynamic looking um, main body, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Right. So there's no cab. There's no cab. There's no room for a human in it at all. Um, it's wow. completely remote. And you know, at, apparently at uh, agriculture trade shows, it's been getting top marks. People are. Uh, I don't. You know. I don't. I'm not normally in tune with the agriculture trade show circuit. <laughs> you surprise. You surprise me, Flash, with your knowledge of agriculture as we have seen through this. That you're not normally beating down the doors to the local state agricultural fair. I haven't to uh, go and I haven't I give haven't, more marks. I haven't attended my local um, agriculture trade show in quite a while. Uh, well, since I left, uh, well, even when I lived in Calgary, big farming ranching company uh, country, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't a member. Well, we, we, we talked about before we started the show that one of your potential 
um, small jobs to just pull some income in might be um, involved with the agriculture industry in Germany with the practice that I would say either A, let's hope they don't listen to this, or B, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this could be a whole new series if we immerse you into a bit like Idiot Abroad, but you're not an idiot because obviously you're a doctor, so I'm an idiot, so the roles are reversed in many ways. But maybe we put yeah, both of us into scenarios. Well, I was trying to be polite, but maybe we put both of us into scenarios where we don't really know a lot. So for you, right, we put you in agriculture. Not that I know that much, but put you in agriculture, <laughs> and we, you know, we, we do a, an episode on that. I don't know. Well, for me, you basically put me in any situation, but maybe like a if if Jess is listening, put me in a uh, immunology world and just see me flail around <laughs> like a dumbass. Yeah, yeah. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What can I say? Uh, I I was just, I was raised in the city. I'm just a just a you know disconnected city boy. But uh, well, I was going to say if you were Matt Damon stuck on Mars, you'd. Have, died at the first sign of trouble wouldn't you there would be no homegrown potato crop for you yeah well if my uh courgette growing skills from last year were any uh, indication well, i might i might be alive did, for a week or two and that's about it i, I didn't, didn't want to mention that flash yeah. but uh well, you brought it up but just to just to wrap this one up all jokes aside it's an interesting um it's an interesting, again, example of technology sort of moving into taking, taking our jobs, you know, um, mm-hmm. not that, you know, I think, I think the farming industry itself is a smaller, you know, for what it provides, you know, the food that we all consume, it's actually not a lot of jobs. And I could be wrong on that. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's one of the smaller, you know, when you think about it, family run farms and things like this, there's not actually a lot of, manpower in some of the other you know orchards and fruit picking and stuff there is um so i could be talking a bit out of my ass but that's normal um but the idea for me that kind of stuck out is that if you can increase the efficiency of food production that surely must be a good thing you know especially for uh, lowering the prices of food and making food more accessible to the rest of the world um there's already you know there's places that are starving and we have so much and there's got to be a way that this you know pushes the efficiency and the and the ease of food production um uh, up uh and and, yep. and that must be a good thing and then as people are losing jobs to automation and things like this uh cheap food and easily you know produced food is going to be something that we need because we're moving into the jobless era where nobody's going to have jobs so if we don't have to pay for food because the robots are making our food maybe this all is just a good thing pushing us towards the jobless world where you know we all universal basic income and all the other fun things that we've talked about before so that's just my own little take on it uh, and that it might not be a terrible thing Maybe there's some farmers out there that are being like, oh, my God, my job is, you know, going away. Or maybe they're like, sweet, I don't have to sit in that tractor, you know, 16 hours a day. But I don't know. I'm not in touch with the farming community. Well, that, that doesn't show. Flash doesn't show. Man of, man of the people. Flash, man of I, the people. I try to be. I try to be. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm going to I'm going to take us into the wrapping up. Let's session, do it. Let's I think. do it. I think we. Let's, and that's so, uh, what will be. What have we learned today? Well, apart from yourself being a man of the people, uh, you're now Dr. Flash. And I think we should mention that again and say congratulations again because it's a big achievement. So well done. So Thank I'm you, sir. proud of you. Thank you. Um, fish farming for the modern era. Uh, it's not going to be to feed the masses. It's going to be purely so that we can all get high. So uh, It's going to be to drug you know, the masses. Well, you know, and obviously in the UK, that you know, the... The national dish is actually no chicken tikka masala, but before that, the the British are known for their fish and chips. So, you know, maybe there's got a whole new slant on that of why people will be ordering fish and <laughs> chips in the future. Um, one following the food theme, uh, the mass-produced blood will also mean that we'll get black pudding on tap. Oh, that's so, on tap. that's so gross. Hey, <laughs> right, but we've got we've got people to feed. So if you can mass-produce blood, that's right. That's you can mass-produce right. black pudding. Um, and a call to arms, we all need to build walls, but the trouble is that we've got autonomous tractors that will likely find a way past them anyway. So actually don't build the wall in the first place. So, you know, let's be a more inclusive society and not have walls. That's, that's, 
That's what I'll say. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Well, sometimes I get poetic. <laughs> Usually after a couple of beers. <laughs> so, yeah. I would say, you know, you often try to be poetic and sometimes you, you get it right. So I think that was one of those times. Yeah. So well done, my friend. Uh, thank you. Well, there's a, there's a lot of swings and a lot of misses, but occasionally bat hits ball and <laughs> I, hit, I hit a home run. Yeah. So... I'm going to say, well, thank you for an enjoyable episode 14. Uh, it's, it's been good to be back, I think. You've you've enjoyed it, I hope? Yes, I am. Uh, thank you as well. It's always good to sit down and, and chat with you and get a chance to uh, dive into some of these um, you know interesting stories that we're finding. Um, I hope the listeners are enjoying them. We should have some improvements to our website and Twitter accounts in the form of a, a brand spanking new logo, which I have to mention was done by a good friend of mine, Sebastian Aboud, A-B-B-O-U-D. You can check out all of his graphic design work at SebastianAboud.com. Um, I will surely be tweeting those out and putting uh, links to all of his stuff up on the website because he did a bang up job uh, and it's just yeah, pushing us into the I, more professional realm. I actually updated the the logo just before we started on air, but I didn't put a link in. So I think we should retweet that out with uh, a link to him. And, and again, thank you from from the other Brad in the room, Sebastian. I think you've done a, a great job there. So yeah, stay stay tuned, people. I, Flash is the one that does all the production and post production. I know he's worked hard on it as well. And potentially there could be some more technology improvements coming as well. But we'll we'll save those when they get there to. Unveil is a big surprise with banners and bunting because I like those sort of things. Um, I will, if if I haven't tweeted out the stories that I mentioned tonight, I will tweet those out after the show. Uh, so you can get that at the um, the show Twitter account, which is at 2 brad for you. Um, but if you want to get in touch, you can either do it via that Twitter address or you can do it to me personally, which is at Bradley W. Hayes. Or my counterpart, Dr. Flash, you can get in touch with him at... B. Van Paradigm, as always. So you're not... You've not put a doctor in front of that, and yet? I will not put a doctor in front of that. <laughs> man of the people, man. I gotta so, keep my, I gotta keep my calm in touch. I don't want to be too disconnected. Well, that's true. You say that now until you want an upgrade on a plane, then you'll be, <laughs> yeah, Doctor Van Paraden to you, bitch. Get me to the front of this plane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I won't be afraid to to wield my title if it's uh, if it benefits me. Well, when, when have you ever in, in very small, small doses? Well, I, personally, I'd like a big shot of injection of Dr. Flash at any time, but that sounds slightly crude and rude, so we'll leave that there. Uh, Dr. Flash, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to uh, share the show and the microphone with you, and uh, it's a good night from me. You as well, my friend. Thank you so much, and until next time, man, take care. See you on the flip side. There's the same bite for the uh, end, end of this episode. <laughs> All right. How do we want to? You want to? You want to bring us in? Can do bit of a pause and then go for it. Yeah. If you got a burp, do it now. No, I probably didn't need to <laughs> fart, but um, get it on mic. Get it on mic. I, I don't want to force it because you never know if that's going to be a lottery that you exactly. want to win or not. <laughs> All right, man. I'm, I'll hold off and okay. you bring us in when you're ready.